Out front next, the breaking news. Trump's business taking a major hit. The former president ordered to pay nearly $355 million and banned from doing business in the state of New York. Does Trump have the money to pay this? Plus, Fannie Willis's father on the witness stand. And the question got so out of hand today that the judge was forced to reprimand one of the lawyers. Plus, what happened to Alexei Navalny? His close friend, the investigative reporter, Christo Grozev, is out front. He's been working his sources all day, and he has new details to share tonight. Let's go out front. Good evening, I'm Erin Burnett. Out front tonight, the breaking news, $355 million. Former President Trump and his business empire taking a massive hit today. The judge in Trump's New York fraud trial just deciding Trump must pay $354.86 million to be exact. And then there's interest on top of that that he's also now uh, liable to pay. That could add another $100 million. And Trump has just responded. These are corrupt people. These are people that shouldn't be allowed to do the things they do. And they're using this as weaponization against a political opponent who's up a lot in the polls. There's a a fine of $355 million for doing a perfect job, for having paid back a loan with no defaults, with no problems. Of course, the trial was uh, more than just taking a loan. It was about Trump manipulating his net worth and lying about it. And it's not just Trump who has to pay. Both of his sons, Don Jr. and Eric, have been ordered to pay $4 million each, and the Trump Organization CFO, Alan Weisselberg, has to pay a million dollars. All in it's a devastating punishment for Trump. And it's not all. And this part, in in a sense, for him, psychologically, matters just as much. The judge yanking away Trump's right to do business in New York for three years. Now, the New York Attorney General, Letitia James, speaking just a short time ago. The scale and the scope of Donald Trump's fraud is staggering. And so too is his ego and his belief that the rules do not apply to him. Today, we are holding Donald Trump accountable. Now, this matters to Trump in an extraordinary way. The psychology of it, his entire persona, what he defines himself as, is being the most successful business person in New York. I mean, just remember and listen to this, how he's defined himself since well before the White House days, the opening of The Apprentice. New York, my city. My name's Donald Trump, and I'm the largest real estate developer in New York. I own buildings all over the place. Well, the part about the developer is not true, but the buildings are some of his most treasured possessions. That part is true. Any ones that he owns, now he's at risk of losing them. Trump is facing now one of the biggest financial crises of his 77 years. According to Forbes, Trump has about $640 million that he could use to pay this money, this fine. This decision would eat up more than half of that. But then think about it this way. What about what he owes E. Jean Carroll? That's $88.3 million. So when you add that to this, that's $443 million. I'm not even counting the interest here. That would be $543. So $443 is nearly 70% cash and personal assets, according to Forbes. And again, just emphasize, it's $500 million. There's another $100 million I'm not even counting because of the interest. It is a lot of money. And if Trump can't just pay it out of his cash, he may be forced to sell things like his Trump Tower penthouse or his jet or his foams in Florida and St. Martin. And by the way, I should say, in a deposition with Letitia James in this case last year. He said he only had $400 million. So this alone would be 90% 
of his own estimated cash. This is a crippling blow to a man who promised that he would be successful if he just ran the United States like he runs his businesses. Nobody's ever been more successful than me. Um, I'm the most successful person ever to run. I'm much richer than almost anybody. I'm really rich. I'll show you that in a second. I'm a great businessman. I've made a fortune, and I want to put that same thinking for the country. Well, now putting that thinking to the rest of the country takes on a whole new connotation. Paula Reed is out front, live outside Trump Tower. Paula, it's a massive penalty. Will it force Trump to make changes to his strategy and how he's fighting this at all? Aaron, in speaking with sources and just listening to the former president a short time ago, there is no indication that he is going to change up his combative and remorseless strategy when it comes to these legal cases. Now, his approach of attacking prosecutors, attacking sex abuse survivors, attacking judges has resulted in hundreds of millions of dollars in penalties and limited his ability to do business in the state of New York. But that is where his interests, he seems to think, as a defendant and as a candidate, diverge. No one in their right mind would attack a judge overseeing a case you're involved in. But he does so repeatedly and deliberately in this larger effort to try to convince his supporters and voters at large that he is the victim of election interference and that there is an unfair system that is targeting him and them by extension. I mean, it's really quite stunning, Aaron, that he continues to do this, but he must see a political benefit. But the stakes are about to become a lot higher because in a few weeks he is expected to face his first criminal case. And based on what we saw in court in that case yesterday, no indication that he's going to take a different approach there. But while there he might be scoring some political points with this approach, a criminal conviction might hit differently with a general electorate. Erin? All right. Thank you very much, Paula. And now Eric Larson joins me now, a legal reporter for Bloomberg News. He was in the courtroom from the entire trial. Anyone who watches the show saw a lot of Eric. Barbara Rez, former executive vice president for the Trump Organization. She worked with Trump for over 15 years. She's the author of Tower of Lies and, of course, uh, Ryan Goodman, our legal analyst and the co-editor-in-chief of Just Security. So, Eric, here we are. Um, you were in the courtroom throughout this, and I just went through the math. So you get, uh, between the two cases, $543 million, $643 million if you count the interest. Um, so that's, that's, that, that's more than what he says his estimated cash is. He says $400 million. It's actually uh, more than the $600 million that, that, that he's estimated by Forbes. I mean, does he have the cash to cover this? Well, so far, we, we think that he, he might. Uh, the Bloomberg Billionaires Index puts him at about $600 million in liquid assets, including, like you said, around $400 or more million in cash. But the question is, if he eats all of that up, having to pay these damage awards, uh, he still is going to need to have some cash on hand. So he might have to sell some assets in order to replenish his cash. But a lot of this could be dragged out on appeal. Um, he will have to put up some money, though, in order to do those appeals. Uh, so I think we'll learn a little bit more about it once those appeals starts, whether or not he has this money. All right. And, and, and appeals. What is this? Does he have a good chance on appeal? Uh, really not at all. I would not bet on him. And, and I'm not sure who would. Part of the reason is that the trial judge gets so much deference from the appeals courts, especially on the facts. And especially in this case, the judge has written his opinion time and again, referring to all these witnesses on Trump's side. And he says... 
for uh, the controller, uh, Jeffrey McConaughey, he was, his credibility was severely impaired. For Eric Trump, his credibility was severely damaged. For Donald Trump, his refusal to ask questions directly severely compromised his credibility. And for one of their star witnesses, this particular expert at the end, lost all credibility in the eyes of the court. That is something that the appeals court will have a very hard time overturning because it has to be a clear error and there's deference to this judge. Right, and, and we should make always very clear this is a, a sort of the way the court was handled, and one judge having all this power seems odd to a lot of people. Both sides had agreed that this was the way it was going to be, that they were going to accept this. So it's not as if anything funny or strange happened. Uh, this is the way it goes, and, and, and both sides had, had agreed on that. Barbara, how much does the money part matter to Trump personally? I mean, and, and I'll just take a step back and say, money matters to everybody. This is a lot of money over him, okay? So, so that's just, it is what it is. Mm -hmm. But when you look at the psychology of it, what do you see? Well, I mean, money matters to Trump. I mean, I think of chiseling contractors out of $1,000. I mean, you know, money was almost a game to him. He had to have all the money. Uh, but, you know, in this case, I mean, I, I don't know that he's still going to buy in. You believe this, that it really happened. You know, um, I'm, he's going to spin it. Well, he's already tried to spin it. And all his people are going to believe that, that it's a setup and he's being persecuted and everything. So will he have to pay it? Um, I don't know. Some of it maybe. And will he have the money? It probably will. He still has a lot of assets that he can probably sell. Right. But I mean, to imagine to be in a position, I mean, you talk about a fall uh, to have to sell those assets, oh, those sure. assets that matter yeah. deeply to him. You know, oh. His entire persona is wrapped up. Well, in absolutely. If, he's, if he starts having to sell assets, then it's going to be big. But until that point, he's still playing it like I'm the best businessman in the world and this is all lies. And, I, you know, and, and that's, that's going to go on until the appeals. So, Eric, it, how is this going to impact Trump's businesses? Because you've got not just the fine, uh, but also this ban on doing business in the state of right. New York for three years. Right. So that's just for, applies to, you know, him for three years and for his sons, two years, which is significant. I mean, they can't be a director of any New York based company. It remains to be seen how they'll, they'll try to spread around uh, the duties to try to get around that and make that work. And they'll also be able to try to get those put on hold during an appeal. Uh, but one of the bigger problems might be the appointment of this independent compliance monitor that the judge ordered, who's going to be in the, in the company with them, looking at everything they're doing, even more than this independent monitor who's already been doing that during the case. So they're going to have two layers now of outsiders going over everything they're doing with banks, potentially looking at assets that are so uh, tainted that they need to be sold. I mean, this was all laid out in the decision that the judge said was all necessary because of the past problems that Trump has had even before this lawsuit with Trump University yeah. and Trump Foundation and things like that. So, Ryan, how long does it take? And, and I know we get into the legal of all this, but it does matter uh, for voters and, and it matters for Trump. How long does it take as this goes through? You talk about the appeals court, much, much or not likely to, to take this up on his side. But when do we know? When does this exhaust its appeals? It'll exhaust its appeals well after the election. Oh, there so, we go. See, I knew you were going to say that. But on the other hand, <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, I think that the American public will be sitting with this as the judgment uh, in the mm -hmm. case. And a judgment that I think by all accounts is, looks like it's insulated from reversal on appeal. So it looks as though this is the new status quo. So, Barbara, in the 90-some-odd page, yeah. okay, that the, the judge wrote, the opinion, and it's significant, the time was taken, the T's were no. crossed, the I's were dotted. The judge writes, Engron, defendants blatantly false financial data to the accountants resulting in fraudulent financial statements 
And when confronted at trial with the statements, the fact and expert witnesses simply denied uh, reality. You worked for Trump for a long time. You just mentioned that he would would care about $1,000 on a contractor yeah. uh, negotiation. Does that add, does that make sense to you that they when you see this blatantly false financial data? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I mean, he wasn't it was a process. I mean, if you look at my book, it, over time he became Trump. He didn't start out that way, but I'm just assuming that it's continued in the same way. And yeah, he's up to zillions of dollars lying about that. Yeah, sure. He falsified it. Well, everything that he could get away with, and basically he thinks he can get away with anything. So, you know, values of apartments, sizes of apartments, even the height of the building. He made 68 stories when it was really 58. 68 versus 58. Mm-hmm. Wow. Even and even uh, when he would talk about heights of buildings, one could even look at buildings and see. Oh, I know. Now it's so 100, but that was yeah. big at the time. Very yeah. Big. All right. Well, thank you all very much. I appreciate it. And next, Fonnie Willis's father coming to her defense, pushing back against Trump's legal team who have been putting her love life on trial. Your Honor, I'm not trying to be racist, okay? But it's a black thing. Plus, top Putin critic Alexei Navalny, dead in jail. He was in good spirits just two days ago. So what happened? Investigative journalist Christo Grozev, who worked alongside Navalny and just left Navalny's wife's side, has new details about the circumstances around Navalny's reported death. Christo will be out front. And the video of Noah Argamani shouting for her life as she's being taken away by Hamas fighters has now been seen around the world. Tonight, I'll speak to her father, who has a message for her captors. She is still in Gaza. We all do things our own way. And since the way that each of us sleeps is unique, you need a bed that fits you just the right way. Sleep Number smart beds make your sleep experience as individual as you are, using cutting-edge technology to give you effortless, high-quality sleep every night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, during Sleep Number's President's Day sale, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed plus special financing for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. See store for details. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. This week on Chasing Life, I sit down with Giles Yeo. It is a problem of our brain influencing the hunger. So hunger is a brain scenario, even though the feeling of hunger comes from your stomach. It's a very new and provocative way of thinking about a condition that impacts more than 40% of Americans. But the thing is, this approach could have big consequences for the way that we treat obesity. Listen to Chasing Life wherever you get your podcasts. Tonight, Fulton County prosecutors deciding not to put District Attorney Fonnie Willis back on the stand to testify. Sources telling CNN that prosecutors were convinced her heated testimony yesterday was effective enough to avoid being disqualified over her past relationship with Nathan Wade, who is the lead prosecutor in her case versus Trump in the election interference case in the state of Georgia. But they did put someone else in the hot seat. Her dad. Because, of course, why wouldn't you put someone's dad in the hot seat to talk about their love life when they're in their 50s, right? Well, Floyd lived in the same house as Willis. He was forced to answer detailed questions about his 53-year-old daughter's love life to defend her against attacks and claims that she lied when she said her relationship with Wade began after she picked him to lead the probe. They asked him, you know, when he first made, made, met Wade and how often another ex-boyfriend would visit Willis. So relevant, right? 
Well, the questioning was so intense and wide-ranging from the defense that the judge stepped in to reprimand one of the lawyers who asked multiple questions about a home that he used to own in Washington. You owned that property when you moved here in 2019? Yes. And you owned it in 2020, correct? Well, <laughs> that were you now you talk about a very complicated issue. I left the property. There was a dispute between me and I had gotten a reverse mortgage company. And uh, there was a dispute between me and the diver- that. And I just, uh, I walked away from it. Okay. You walked away from it with... Almost $300,000. Yeah, what is the relevance of that? Um, where he lived and registered to vote. That's what they brought in. So that's... Why is the money he got from the sale I, I, relevant at all? Um, it's the only proof I have of that he owned that address. So I can move on now. Michael Isikoff is out front now. He spent extensive time with Willis and her team for his new book, Find Me the Votes, a hard-charging Georgia prosecutor and rogue president and the plot to steal an American election. And uh, your name was brought up, of course, many times today, Michael. And also with me, Stephanie Rawlings-Blake, the former Democratic mayor of Baltimore and a former public defender. So Mayor Rawlings-Blake, you know, I I know I said it with a a bit of tone in my voice because I am a little perplexed. I I don't know what 53-year-old woman would, you know, where her father would be the one that knows when she begins dating somebody or what she's doing while she's dating somebody. Uh, Makes no sense at all. But yet... Uh, they, they they bring her father to the stand. And yesterday she had to go into extremely intimate details about her personal life, her love life. And now her, her father was then asked about those things as well. Um, is it, does it seem incredible to you? It seems heartbreaking, horrible. I mean, dating is hard, uh, especially for women who choose public service. Uh, I know that this, uh, hearing these questions, watching her uh, being questioned, watching her father being questioned, is going to be a chilling effect for women who are considering uh, mm-hmm. public service. It was it was heartbreaking to see uh, her father have to answer those questions, especially if you know anything about uh, conservative, uh, you know, African Americans in the South. Relationships are, you know, people keep them pretty close to their vest. I have family. I didn't, I didn't, I never met any of their girlfriends until they picked someone that they wanted to marry. So the questions, uh, I think, had a cultural bias as well. Oh, it's just a very interesting point. Important for, for everyone to hear, because in that courtroom, of course, people would know that, right? That's the, the culture of where they live. And Michael, do you think the testimony today moved the needle at all? Well, I actually thought uh, the father's testimony was was fairly effective uh, and helped uh, his daughter's case here. By the way, the father is quite a fascinating character, and we write about him uh, uh, quite a bit in Find Me the Votes. Uh, He's a, a former civil rights activist who became for a while a Black Panther. He founded the Black Panther Party of Los, a- of California, of Los Angeles. Um, he lived for a while with Angela Davis, shed his radical beliefs and mm. became a lawyer, raised uh, Fani. But I thought he was quite um, effective on one of the points that, you know, did raise eyebrows yesterday. That is the reimbursements in cash. Yes. Um, And, you know, there was no hard evidence of that. Um, You know, there was some skepticism, really. Um, Fonnie Willis was reimbursing Nathan Wade thousands of dollars in cash. She said that she was, uh, you know, taught from an early age by her father to always carry cash uh, around with you at all times. Keep law 
large amounts of cash in your home uh, in case anything happens. And he kind of supported that with, you know, some specificity today and talked yeah. at length about it. So I think that that helped a bit. Um, uh, overall, though, I, I don't think the needle moved a lot today. Um, the one uh, witness that the uh, Trump lawyers uh, pushed hard, uh, Terrence Bradley, the former law partner of Nathan Wade, uh, said he had no independent knowledge of the relationship between Wade and Willis. Um, but apparently he has some knowledge as because he was Wade's lawyer. So that led to this extensive questioning about the extent of attorney-client privilege. The judge right. is going to listen to him in camera and then decide how much, if any, he can testify to at all. So, Mayor Rawlings-Blake, Fannie Willis did say yesterday that her father was the reason why she used cash, right, as Michael was just indicating, uh, to reimburse Nathan Wade when they took trips together. It did raise eyebrows. So here's how she had explained it. When you meet my father, he's going to tell you as a woman, you should always have, which I don't have, so let's don't tell him that. You should have at least six months in cash at your house at all times. Now, I don't know why this old black man feels like that, but he does. All right, so he did talk about that, Mayor, today. Here's what he said. Your Honor, I'm not trying to be racist, okay? But it's a black thing, okay? You know... I was trained, and most black folks, they hide cash or they keep cash. There was a sign said, you know, with the credit card. For whatever reasons, the man would not take my American Express credit card. So I pulled out my Visa card, and he wouldn't take my Visa card. So then I pulled out my traveler's checks. He said, we don't take checks. I've told my daughter, you keep six months worth of cash always. Mayor, do you think he helped put any controversy over Willis using cash to rest? I definitely think he did. You know, I think he, he made a point when he said it's a black thing. I think it's a black thing. I think it's an immigrant thing, especially for older uh, black people in this country who've been discriminated, who could not uh, depend on banks, who are skeptical uh, of banks. A lot of people keep cash. Uh, in In my community, it was something that is, you know, was pretty normal uh, that uh, people have stashes in, in their house. Uh, uh, friends would talk about their grandmoms going under the bed, uh, under the mattress and, and, and get it, helping them out with their tuition money. I mean, it, it is a mm. thing. So I think he came across as very credible. Um, he's, his testimony, he, uh, he's, he's likable, he's credible. Uh, I think it, he hurt himself a little bit saying that he listened to the testimony, but I really felt like he came across um, well and backed up uh, Bonnie's story. Uh, Michael, obviously, which, which way do you think the judge is leaning? And, and what are you hearing from people <laughs> close to Fonnie Willis? Look, I mean, so the judge is, has been pretty sphinx-like on this. He's, he's very fair, very judicious, has brushed back both sides. Um, but he really hasn't tipped his hand on which way he's going. I mean, 
I have to say, I was a bit surprised that he opened the door to this evidentiary hearing, uh, which is, you know, devolved into this inquiry into the sex life of the DA and, um, and the special prosecutor in charge of the case. And, you know, it's distracted a lot of people from the underlying core issues here, which are quite serious and quite momentous. And that is the efforts by uh, Trump and his associates to overturn the results of the election in Georgia. Um, so we'll see. Uh, you know, it's all up to the judge. It's really hard to know which way he's going right now. All right. Well, we could hear, obviously, early next week. We'll see. Thank you both very much. And next, new video of Russia arresting people who are mourning the reported death of top Putin critic Alexei Navalny. Investigative journalist Christo Grozev, who worked alongside Navalny for years and has been digging into what happened, joins me exclusively next. Plus, the haunting images of Noah Argamani's kidnapping, shocking the world, and her father now opening up about his wife's dying wish, which is to see their daughter one more time alive. Shopping, working, and relaxing online can attract various digital threats. To improve your protection against them, just turn on NordVPN. This cybersecurity app will block web trackers and malware-infected sites. It will also encrypt your internet traffic without losing a smooth connection. Choose the VPN recommended by Forbes Advisor. Get the deal now. NordVPN, cybersecurity built for every day. At Fisher Investments, we may look like other money managers, but we're different. How so? We're a fiduciary, obligated to act in our clients' best interests, so we don't sell any commission-based products. Then how do you make money? We have a simple management fee, structured so we do better when our clients do better. The clients really come first then, huh? Yes, we make them a top priority by getting to know their finances, family, health, lifestyle, and more. Wow, maybe we are different. At Fisher Investments, we're clearly different. Okay, everyone, our mission is to provide complete balanced nutrition for strength and energy. Ensure with 27 vitamins and minerals, nutrients for immune health, and ensure complete with 30 grams of protein. The first time you made a sale online with GoDaddy was also the first time you heard of a town named Dinosaur, Colorado. I just got an order from Dinosaur, Colorado. Start an easy-to-build, powerful website for free with a partner that always puts you first. Start for free at GoDaddy.com. Only United Healthcare Medicare Advantage plans come with the U Card. One simple member card that opens doors where it matters for you. What if we need to see a doctor away from home? U Card gets you in with Medicare Advantage's largest national provider network. How about using it at the pharmacy? Yes, your U Card is all you need. <laughs> That's easy. Can it help keep my smile looking good? Yep, use your U Card at the dentist. Say cheese. Get access to what matters with the U Card only from United Healthcare. Sunday, Laura Coates examines the federal criminal charges against former President Trump. Is it going to be difficult to meet this burden of proof? How strong is the government's case? The whole story with Anderson Cooper, Sunday at 8 on CNN. Hey guys, it's Lisa Hogstein. I'm thrilled to introduce my exquisite collection, Fly, a personal project inspired by my journey, freedom, and beauty. Fly symbolizes the art of transformation. The Fly Wireless Pro is my favorite companion. It's a beautiful addition to your home. The Fly Wireless Pro is portable, sends 20% more, wire-free, and mess-free. Take your new favorite scent with you everywhere. Head to aroma360.com.
DealDash.com. Online auctions since 2009. This PlayStation 5 sold for only 50 cents. This iPad Pro sold for less than $34. And this Nintendo Switch sold for less than $20. Go to DealDash.com and see how much you can save. Men, how many bathroom trips are you making each day? Try Super Beta Prostate Advanced, the number one selling formula in its category. Made with Prostafend, a triple action blend to help reduce urges to urinate. Find it at Walmart or these retailers. Vegas, the story of Sin City. Premieres Sunday, February 25th at 10 on CNN. Tonight, more than 100 people detained throughout Russia for attending vigils and rallies following the reported death of Alexei Navalny, Putin's most powerful opponent, who just days ago urged prison workers to, quote, vote against Putin. President Biden tonight laying the blame squarely at Vladimir Putin's feet. Make no mistake, make no mistake, Putin is responsible for Navalny's death. Putin is responsible. What has happened in Navalny is yet more proof of Putin's brutality. Matthew Chance begins our coverage tonight out front. In his last appearance, just a day before he died, Alexei Navalny seemed in good spirits, even teasing the judge at the court hearing where he appeared by video conference. Your Honour, I will give you my personal account number so that you can send me money from your huge salary, he said. I'm running out thanks to your decisions, he joked. The prison authorities say he collapsed on Friday after his daily walk. State media says emergency teams called to his penal colony tried to revive him for more than half an hour. Still, Navalny's family are waiting for confirmation of his death. If it is true, I want Putin and all his staff, everybody around him, his government, his friends, I want them to know that they will be punished for what they have done to our country, to my family and to my husband. But Navalny's demise sends yet another chilling message to the Russian opposition. A few braving restrictions to lay flowers amid widespread shock. The country's most prominent opposition figure has been silenced. What calms me is that if he really died, his death will make his supporters a bit stronger, says this woman in St. Petersburg. When I learned about it, I was horrified and cried, says another. Now I just want to scream, she But with Russian presidential elections just weeks away, Vladimir Putin seems unfazed by the death of another prominent critic. He's visiting an industrial facility in the city of Chelyabinsk, leaving his spokesman, Dmitry Peskov, to field the awkward questions. According to the rules, all necessary investigations are underway, he told reporters, later suggesting that much international reaction to the death is unjustified. But for many, blame is already being laid at the Kremlin's door. Pro-Navalny protests are banned in Russia, but in neighbouring Georgia and elsewhere, mourners are turning out to pay their respects and to voice their anger. Putin die, they're chanting. But it is his critics, it seems, whose lives are snatched away.
Well, Erin, tonight across Russia, it appears that the police are cracking down on those well-wishers that are turning out to pay their respects and to attend vigils and to lay flowers in memorial to uh, Alexei Navalny. Um, OVN Info, which is a, a group that monitors repression in Russia, says more than 100 people across the country have been detained in Moscow, St. Petersburg, Nizhny Novgorod, Murmansk in the north and elsewhere as well. It just gives you a sense of how broad is the sympathy for Alexei Navalny across Russia tonight. Right, to imagine the people who have the bravery uh, to go out and take the risk they're taking, what that reflects underneath. Matthew Chance, thank you very much. And Christo Grozev, the investigative journalist uh, who, who all of you know, he's been here so many times, he exposed the plot to kill Navalny and he is on Putin's wanted list, uh, speaking exclusively to Outfront this evening. And Christo, I'm so sorry for your loss. Uh, this was a dear friend, somebody you had worked tirelessly alongside you exposed uh, Russian corruption together. I know that you are doing everything you can to find out what happened here. What do you know at this time? Well, let's start with the obvious. Um, I think President Biden said it correctly today. Whatever the actual granular truth is of how exactly um, Navalny's death came about this morning, uh, if it's true, but all the evidence points to the fact that it, it is true, then it is really Putin who caused the death because there are only two extreme hypotheses here. The most innocent one is that um, uh, his death came as the result of three years of torture, three years of, of slowly killing him because of the unlawful anti-constitutional um, solitary confinement that he was put to that is completely unprecedented in Russian in the Russian prison system. Just over the last uh, two years, he spent more than 300 days in solitary confinement, whereas the regulations suggest that it would be legal to hold the person even for two weeks in solitary confinement. But the Putin system found ways to uh, keep him there more and more. Uh, he was deprived of medical care. He was deprived of uh, of any uh, balanced nutrition, even from the prison uh, prison uh, perspective. Uh, he was getting one loaf of bread per month, and the rest of the time he was getting just uh, snippets. But that is the innocent hypothesis. The most likely one, unfortunately, is that he was poisoned the second time. Now, we don't have the evidence yet. We, what we have is circumstantial clues in that direction. One of them is that um, if it were true that, as the government has stated, that he fell uh, down and co collapsed because of a blood clot this morning during his walk um, in the prison yard, uh, then where is the evidence to that? Where is the visual evidence? All of the prisons in Russia are equipped with uh, surveillance cameras. It's been 18 hours since this happened, and we haven't seen a, a thing. Uh, again, this is just circumstantial, but at this point, everything points to the fact that um, he was killed uh, today uh, on purpose. Uh, we're going to dig into that. We're going to, I'm sure that we're going to find out what happened to him. But again, uh, the burden of proof that he was, um, he died on his own uh, is now on the Kremlin's hands yeah. because four years ago we proved they tried to kill him with chemical weapons. Right, with, with Novichok. Um, and do you have any sense, Risto, uh, uh, as to why now? If, they, if, if it was poison again this time, why now? Why Putin would want that now? There are many, many reasons uh, why now the elections in Russia or the so-called elections in quotation marks are coming in, in in about a month. And what we see is that um, even yesterday's jocular uh, statement from from jail um, or from the courtroom uh, 
essentially Navalny was making fun of Putin and he continues to be able to send messages. He was continuing able to, to send messages that were demeaning to Putin even from jail. But also what we did see in the last uh, two months was an increasing anti-war protest movement, especially by women, uh, wives and mothers of soldiers. And as we know, yes. one of the strongest, probably the strongest voice against the war in 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 Ukraine in Russia was was Navalny. So all of these are many reasons for the same outcome. Putin wanted him dead. And you know, one thing that always amazed me, speaking to his daughter Dasha, was his great love for his family. That despite this incredible commitment that he had, right, despite the fact that he went back to Russia, knowing that that meant he may never see his family again, he was incredibly devoted to them. And they were devoted to him. And uh, I asked Dasha about the last time she hugged her father. And here's what she told me. I don't think I quite understood at, in the moment that it was the last time that I would hug him in the, in the near future. What would your message be for him? I know he won't see this, but if he were to see you now. That we're we're fighting and we're doing everything we can to get him out and that I miss him. And I, I wanna I want to extend the message to everyone else who's watching that fighting for what's right is going to be hard, but it's never wrong. I just felt I could only imagine the pride that a father would feel and his daughter doing that, taking those that courageousness that it took for his daughter to speak out. And when you uh, when you spent time with him, and he, he he was part of that documentary Navalny that aired here on CNN, Christo, he talked about going back, why he chose after being poisoned to going to Germany, why he chose to go back. He said this. My message for the uh, situation when I'm killed is very simple, not give up. Если это произошло, это означает, что мы необыкновенно сильны в этот момент, раз они решили меня убить. If they decide to kill me, it means we are incredibly strong. What do those I words mean to you now when you hear them from your friend tonight, Christo? These are provident words and I, I took them at the time as um, was almost a joke and now unfortunately he just saw his own death and he saw the situation in which his words will uh, re reverb and, and echo with uh, exactly the meaning that you have to continue this this work for me because we've made it we've made him scared we've made the the, the, the small man at the Kremlin scared and I think what we saw today his wife actually proved in real time that that she take took those words um, uh, seriously she went hours after finding out that her husband was killed uh, mm. by the president of the country that she's a resident, a, country, a citizen of, she went to the stage of the Munich Security Conference and she made a powerful speech in which uh, I think she spoke as um, a future politician. I think she spoke as somebody who will disappoint the people who thought that by removing uh, Navalny from, from, from the living, uh, they're going to remove his his legacy and uh, and what he stood for. Christo, thank you very much. We all appreciate your time. Thank Again, you. I'm sorry for the loss. Now, out front next, I'm going to speak to Clarissa Ward. She's done extensive reporting on Alexei Navalny, and she tracked down his alleged poisoners and spoke to Navalny about the dangers of returning to Russia. 
You're aware of the risks of going back. Yes, but I'm a Russian politician. Plus, she became the face of the music festival that was attacked by Hamas militants in a terror attack on October 7th. And tonight, I'll speak to her father about how his faith is helping him keep hope alive. Tonight, leaders from Germany to France placing the blame for Alexei Navalny's reported death squarely on Vladimir Putin, as President Biden also did. Navalny making global headlines when he was poisoned with a nerve agent in 2020, Novichok. Our Clarissa Ward and the investigative website Bellingcat tying that poisoning directly to Putin. Uncovering the evidence that Russia's security service, the FSB, had been following Navalny for years. And then Clarissa went to one of the FSB agents' homes to question him. My name's Clarissa Ward. I work for CNN. Can I ask you a couple of questions? Можно вам спрашивать, это ваша команда отравила Навальный? Was it your team that poisoned Navalny, please? Do you have any comment? He doesn't seem to want to talk to us. And Clarissa is with me now. And Clarissa, you have interviewed Navalny, you know, been face to face, spent time together, done extensive reporting on him, connecting Putin to that poisoning. You've got relationships with Navalny and his wife, Yulia. And obviously, Navalny was in court yesterday. We, we can see him. He, I mean, obviously, he's been through horror over these past years, but he, he was laughing. He was making comments. He was telling uh, prison officials to vote against Putin in the upcoming election. When did you hear the news today, and what was your reaction? I heard the news really just as it broke. It was around noon here in London, uh, early morning U.S. time. And I think like so many people, it was this combination of shock and horror, but also at the same time, logically, not surprise. This is a man who the Russian state had tried to kill with the lethal nerve agent Novichok in the past. We know that many of Putin's critics have met a grisly end. So it wasn't surprising, and yet it felt so horrifying, frankly, so grim, and like such a dark moment in Russia's history, and particularly, of course, for Russia's opposition and for the very brave men and women who have risked everything uh, to really put to President Putin that they want a better future, they want a brighter future, and they want a freer future. And so it does feel like a very grim moment, although I know for a fact, based on having spent time with Alexei Navalny, that he would very much want people to view this as a moment for optimism as well, mm -hmm. and that he would hope his example um, would be a legacy and that it would galvanize people to recommit uh, to supporting efforts to continue the fight for freedom, Aaron. Which says everything about him in, in a way that people may admire uh, or just be sort of amazed at. But, but it is hard to understand, you know, the fact that he would go back when he had gotten out of Russia, right? You spoke to him after he mm. was poisoned. He knew going back to Russia would be a risk. He knew that being killed again was a possibility. In fact, given what had happened to him, perhaps a likelihood. And when you talk to him about that, here's how that went. You've said that you want to go back to Russia. 
and I will do. You're aware of the risks of going back. Yes, but I'm a Russian politician and uh, even when I was not just in hospital, I was in intense therapy. And I said publicly I will go back and I will go back because I'm a Russian politician, I belong to this country and, and definitely, which I, I, especially now, when this actually crime is cracked open, revealed, I, I understand the whole operation, I would never give Putin such a gift. It's amazing to listen to those words right now as they resonate, as he is dead. Uh, do you think, Clarissa, that we'll ever know exactly what happened? I think it's unlikely, Aaron, when you look at the circumstances of his poisoning with Novichok in August of 2020, the minute he collapsed on that plane and his team in Siberia found out about it, they rushed to the hotel room where he had been staying. They collected evidence, anything, the, the toothbrush that had left behind, the towel that he had used. Um, and similarly, once he was medevaced out to Germany, a team of doctors saved his life, but also did extensive testing, were able to conclude that Navichok, that lethal nerve agent, had been used on him. In this day and age and this set of circumstances, it's hard to believe you will have that level of transparency or any kind of autopsy that would uh, allow people to really know what happened. Clarissa, thank you very much. Thank you. And next, I'm going to speak to the father of a young woman whose kidnapping at the Israeli Music Festival was seen across the globe. And he has a message tonight. Tonight, President Biden with an order for Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu telling him there must be a ceasefire before any more Israeli hostages can be released from Gaza. It has been 133 days in captivity for the hostages, among them Noah Argamani. Her image, now one of the most recognized in the world. She is one of the most recognizable faces of the October 7th terror attacks, 25-year-old Noah Argamani. And it's this video that haunts the world and her family. Noah on the back of a motorcycle, shouting, pleading for her life, saying to her captors, don't kill me. Her father, Yaakov, more than four months later, agonizing as he waits for word about his only daughter, calling her his sweet child. How do you manage having to hear and see that all of the time? When I saw the video, I fainted. It tore me up. This is our only daughter, mine and Leora's. When you see a video like this, it simply crushes you. In this moment, in this hard moment, I didn't have the opportunity to protect her. It tore me to pieces. Yaakov's faith is deep, yet it can't protect him from the torment of his missing daughter and the suffering of his wife, Noah's mother, who is dying from brain cancer. You're also dealing with the fact that your wife is very sick. How much more difficult does that make this? I have this dilemma. When I pray, I don't know who to pray for first, Noah or Leora. What happened has caused Leora's condition to unfortunately deteriorate. My wife asks about her. It's impossible to describe the situation we are in. His wife's dying wish is to see Noah. The doctors in the hospital have told us the situation is very dire. I don't want to say it in such a direct way, but they told us clearly that there is not much left to do. That's why my wife has one wish, and that's to see Noah, even just one time. I want her go to home as fast as possible. Her pleas send in letters to President Biden. 
She writes, Mr. President, we know that you know the pain of missing a child, the pain of brain cancer, the pain we are experiencing. You haven't heard back yet, but what do you hope to hear from him? The same we want to hear from everyone, that they will do everything they can with all their abilities, from everyone in the world. As he says this, tears fill his eyes. Look at this picture here, at how much Noah is supporting Leora. This picture tears me up. It's hard for me to look at this picture. They were more than mother and daughter. They were friends. For the Argamani family, there was a glimmer of hope, followed by horror and more uncertainty when Hamas released a video on January 14th of Noah along with two other hostages. They promised the world would know the hostages' fate in 24 hours. Hamas later said the two men in that video were killed. They claim by an Israeli airstrike. The IDF says that's not true. But still, no word about Noah. And for now, Yaakov waits and relies on his faith. I believe that with the help of God and prayers, Noah will come back with all of the hostages. And we'll be right back. Tonight, corruption, deception, bribery, prostitution, all the makings of a blockbuster movie. But this is not a movie. This is real life. The salacious political stories that Jake Tapper is diving into in his new original series, United States of Scandal. Remember the former Illinois governor, Rod Blagojevich, who infamously tried to sell Obama's Senate seat? Well, Jake talked to him now. He's still defending himself years after getting out of prison. Don't miss that and all. There's so much more in this great new series from Jake, United States of Scandal. It premieres this Sunday night at 9 Eastern. And also, earlier in the program, there was a headline on our screen incorrectly showing Putin's name instead of Navalny's. We do apologize for that error. And we also thank you, as always, for being with us. AC360 begins now. We all do things our own way. And since the way that each of us sleeps is unique, you need a bed that fits you just the right way. Sleep Number smart beds make your sleep experience as individual as you are, using cutting-edge technology to give you effortless, high-quality sleep every night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $15.99. Save $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.